and a welcome back to 90.7 WCLH, Wilkes-Barre, Scranton, Hazleton. You are listening to Telling the Untold Stories of Wilkes, podcast number 12. As always, this is your host, Lindsay Scorey, and today I have a very special guest in the studio with me today. We will be doing a special interview with Andy Mahalchik. Andy, this is a bio coming from PA homepage, and I know he's humble, so he's not going to love this introduction. <laughs> but Andy Mahalchik is the lead member of the Eyewitness News investigative team. Andy started his broadcast journalism career in 1979 at Wilkes University, where he received a scholarship to run the college radio station. He began reporting at the Hazleton area radio station in 1982, working his way up to news director. At the same time, he reported for an area newspaper. He was hired by WBRE in 1985 and has performed duties in virtually all the positions in the newsroom, including anchor, producer, assignment desk, as well as investigative reporting. Andy has won numerous journalism awards, including Pennsylvania Association of Broadcasting Awards, even an Emmy nomination for his coverage of the Penn State child sex scandal. Andy is very involved in the community and has taken part in numerous fundraising events, including serving as host for the American Cancer Society and Help Hand Telethons since 1985. One of his missions is to protect children and has presented to his award-winning Stranger Danger program to thousands of kids since 1994. And Andy is a native of the northeastern Pennsylvania area. Welcome to the show, Andy. Well, welcome, Lindsay. I'm, I'm really honored to be here and excited because, honestly, this is the first time, one, I'm on air in some form on WCLH. Brace yourself, folks, since 1983. <laughs> so it's almost 40 years. When you think about that, just... So when I got an invite uh, from you and, and the great people here at Wilkes, I said, there's no way I can't do this. And, <laughs> and I've actually, truth be told, I was trying to figure out a way of how I could uh, get on the air at WCLA. Just say I'm back at least for one day or one minute, whatever. So, well, thank you. Yeah, it's great Absolutely. to be here. Absolutely. Well, I have to ask first and foremost, is it weird being in the new studio? Because when you were here, it was in the Dorothy Dixon Dart Center. Yeah, it's weird. I mean, I was here with the grand opening a couple of years ago, and I knew it was in the planning stages for years. Uh, and I've, I've kept t in touch with Wilkes, of course. But, yeah, to be in the new studio, this is like comparing Star Trek now, the movie, to Star Trek in 1966. <laughs> You know, how advanced that was back then. You would think technology and whatever, how the set right. was. This is light years ab above that, you know. I remember back in set 1979, we had, well, we were still playing vinyl, that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. And we had the micro-touch control board. So, yeah, it's weird to be here, but honestly, Lindsay, I know it sounds corny. I feel like I'm at home. I see WCLH. Right? This, this is where it all started for me. I know it sounds corny, but mm -hmm. it's just great. It's a great feeling to be here. Absolutely. And I know it was super exciting for us because we just celebrated our 50 years of WCLH, as you know. Awesome. Yeah. So, and I remember, so I'm our social media director. And Which I, we did not have back in 1979. There was no <laughs> social media back then. Yeah, we have a whole e-board now, and I run our social media, and I was tasked with going back and finding like old newspaper clippings and different stuff, and looking at it, I was like, this is crazy how much this has changed, you know? Yeah, and uh, I remember one newspaper clipping, uh, uh, one thing that we, when, when I was at Wilkshire, Dr. Brad Kinney, who was the head of the department back then, uh, communications department, we, I interviewed Ted Koppel, who was a well-known uh, uh, journalist and respected who anchored the Nightline program. They were in town doing a story on the Centralia Mine Fire. So anyway, I was working at WCLH, and I thought it would be great to interview Ted Koppel. I mean, I was like 18 years old at the time. And I thought, well, I, I met up. I got an exclusive interview with him. Bottom line, that gave me the bug. I'll be honest with you, because it showed me that if you think you can do it and you put the effort into it, most likely you gotta make the effort. But anyway, yep. so, but it was a newspaper picture I still have at home. A very much younger Andy Mahalshi with Dr. Kinney in the WCLA studio Aww. in the Dorothy Dixon Dar Center. I look at it once in a while and say, "Wow, I mean, first of all, who is that young guy? But right. number two, how life just takes takes you in ways you never know." You know, you just the, the flow of life is fantastic. Absolutely. That actually gets me into my first question I had for you, because I really wanted to talk about your experience at large and your career, you know, everything recently before we jump into the roots. So my first question is, what actually got you into the field? Did you always know that this is what you wanted to do? Yeah, I had. I always liked news. I like current events, uh, you know, why things happen, why do people do what they do? Just, you know, the community. I like the, the whole, you know, what's happening kind of thing. So... Mm -hmm. Even as a kid, I watched, I would watch a newscast. I'm not saying every single night, but back in the day, Walter Cronkite and called the Huntley Brinkley Report years ago. My dad would watch, and I would sometimes sit with my dad. Not that I understood what was on there, but, you know, just what was happening in the world, in our community. I would read the newspaper. So I was always a news, uh, a student of current events mm -hmm. and what's happening. So I was a political science major uh, back in Wilkes, taking a lot of communications courses because they were just exciting courses. Right. 
And I was in actually an elective physics course. Gee, go figure. I barely, oh, my I, I, Yes, I barely made it through Kudos that Kudos to one. you. Barely made it through that. Anyway, one of the people, uh, students in the physics course at, at the Stark Center said, hey, uh, I knew he was involved in the communication department. Mm. He said, I have an opening on a Monday night for a rock show. Oh. Can you, do you have like four hours on a Monday night? I said, yeah, sure. Four hours? It was four hours oh on the air uh, between, it was 8 p.m. till midnight. And I said, Absolutely. So I went there, and back in the day, playing Boston and ACDC and Fleetwood Mac, all that kind of stuff. Oh, that's uh, a perfect era for anyway, that. Anyway, so that's how I got into it. I got into being the DJ. It was called the Drew Review, like Andrew, Drew Review on Monday nights. Oh, And that's catchy. where it started. Yeah, so I, I did that, I mean, right for the whole four years. And then I eventually became news director here at WCLH. We actually mm-hmm. covered news and covered the courthouse and, you know, accidents, fires, that kind of thing. And then my senior year became, uh, I kept working hard and became uh, uh, the manager of the station, which was, I was honored to do that. That's a big honor, yeah. yeah it was and great. That's really awesome. I think what's interesting too is, see, even now you're years forward, all of my friends, you know, we're finding that the further we get into college and try these different shows, we really see what we want to do in the future. Right. And I was curious because I know a lot of friends. So actually TV is the one co-curricular I don't do. Um, and a lot of my friends who do it, it's interesting because there's people who are interested in weather and there's people who like to anchor or like to be behind the camera. Right. I'm really curious. Investigative reporting is not really something I feel like you're like 15 and you're like, yeah, I'm going to do investigative reporting. Right. Did you get into this post-college? How did that happen? Well, you know, Lindsay, that's a good question. I think like when, I say, when you say investigative reporting, I just think you're very curious mm-hmm. and you take it to the next level. So, you know, for example, you cover an event or you see something happening or you get tipped off to things. People will say, uh, this is going on, that's going on. or And there's a story, and a lot of times there's a story be underneath that story. Mm-hmm. You know, whether it be, you know, when I say corruption, that you hear something about uh, someone not doing their job as a politician or a lawmaker. But you have to know, you start digging, start talking to a lot of people, you have to know where the public records are, and you just start basically researching, back in the day of the term paper, mm-hmm. you have to research, you go to the library, you know how to work a library. It's right. the same thing with a story. And as you move along and you get more experience, you start to realize, okay, that resource might help me. I, I could go there for information, I could do that. Mm-hmm. And it's all like putting a puzzle together, connecting the dots. Mm-hmm. And quite frankly, you know, really investigative reporting you know, a real true investigative story isn't involving scandal all the time. Right. It's just, you know, what's the story? Okay, here's what, say, the, the town mayor said. But what's the real motivation? Mm-hmm. Or what, what does, what's the real impact on this project, whatever? So you just start digging a little bit deeper. I always say that they call it the deep dive now. Yeah. And we do that. And But again, that takes time. You have to vet stories out. Social media is a great tip-off. It's not the end all by any means, but it gives you sometimes leads you we may not have had years ago without that technology and that that venue. So yeah, investigative right. reporting is just being I call it being extra curious. Mm-hmm. And journalists are all investigators, but we try and take it to a next step. Like okay, this looks fine and dandy, but is there something more to it? I don't mean being suspicious, just is there more to it? That's it. Right, and I think what's interesting too, and actually you came and spoke to my class with um, Sarah Baxter. We had politics through the media lens last semester, and we talked a lot about. Um, investigative journalism and the nuances to it. I'm really curious to talk about too, is it hard for you sometimes when you're dealing with families and children and a lot of people that this is their lives, you know, like this is your job and I imagine sometimes it's hard to not take it home with you. It's, yeah, I'm sorry, absolutely. And that's, I keep that in mind that, you know, stories, you know, it's not black and white, it's not sanitized, it's not sterile. You're talking good or bad with humanity, people, Mm -hmm. families, their life, that kind of thing. And a lot of times, and, and because I'm a local in, a person, you know, I, I know a lot of people. And sometimes, mm-hmm. unfortunately or amazingly, we'll get tipped off to something. And I start going down the path, just connecting the dots, just asking questions. You know, listen, we're not going to solve the world problems by putting a microphone in front of somebody or putting it on TV. Mm-hmm. But sometimes the truth, they say, will set you free. The truth will sometimes help resolve issues. We have to get the truth out there. Can't be afraid to talk about it. If there's something, mm-hmm. something that should be talked about. But anyway, yeah, sometimes uh, there's many times you take the stories home because you realize, yeah, we, we did our, when I say job, you did what you're supposed to do and, you know, this is why it happened, this is why it did not happen, it shouldn't happen again, whatever the case is. And then you realize, uh, I always keep in mind that at 6.01 when my story airs or 6.30, whatever it is, I'm done, 
I might be going home, but did my, how did my story impact that person, that community, the family, collateral damage? Right. You know, and I'm very sensitive to that, and I try to be respectful. And I can tell you, Lindsay, till this day, people come up to me, and I don't remember because it's 10,000 stories ago. Somebody will say to me, you know, they'll walk up, and my head's always on a swivel. You have to be, especially in this day and age. These could be, it's a very... It's a different world we're living in, right? right? And with social media, I think things get inflamed more than ever. But anyway, mm-hmm. people come up to me and say, uh, and they'll put their hand out, and they'll say, I'm so-and-so, you probably don't know me. They might be 35 years old, 40 years old, but they were a kid 25 years ago when I covered their parents, whatever happened. And they, they said, you're you. respectful to my parents and my mm-hmm. family, and I wanna, or my family in that situation. So, And that means a lot to me. And see how far that goes, because that is a, a really large thing. I would hope in other disciplines they talk about this too, but ethics is very large for communication studies because you're talking about, like, you're right. Like, you're going to have a new news story probably constantly every day. Every day. But they're going to remember this for the rest of their lives. Like, this was something very impactful right. to them. And how you handle it, just in maybe the hour, few hours you're with them, makes a huge difference. And I could tell you, Lindsay, one of, the, one of the biggest, and I say, misconceptions, and it doesn't happen, sure. People say, why did you stick the mic in front of this guy's face? How did you ask the fire victim, how do you feel? I'm going to be honest with you, I've never asked that question. Yeah. I mean, how do you think they feel? That, that's ridiculous. Right. Now, again, I'm not saying, some, and sometimes, or why did, you try and talk, why did you try to talk to that person? Well, here's the deal. If it's a big story, for example, like Hugo Slinsky, uh, mm-hmm. a mass killer in, in Luzerne County, and everyone said, well, he's mugging for the camera, that kind of stuff. Well, here's, you don't know what they're going to say. Right. So you just say, hey, Hugo, what's your comment on that testimony? Or, you know, and people say, did you do it? Did you do it? Did you do it? What did you expect them to say? You know, yes, I'm guilty. Well, guess what? That's happened. People have said, you know what? I may have made a mistake. I may have done this, may have done that. So you have to ask the question. That doesn't mean you're getting a response. Right. But you have to ask that question, you know? Right. Um, and that's actually funny you bring that up because I really wanted to ask about that because the Hugo Slinsky case, you got picked up by CNN for that, right? Oh, I did. So, honestly, I, and I'm going to try to sound goofy here with this, but I've done so many stories that only because, you know, northeastern Pennsylvania, when I say it's a great news market, you know, it's not as small as some people try and paint it. Right. It's not the coal bell tired old coal towns. <laughs> That's our heritage, and I'm proud of it. My parent, my grandfather was a coal miner. You know, I'm the first person in my family to go to college and graduate back in 1983. Yeah, that was the decade before the 90s, after the 70s. Anyway, <laughs> but we're not that. We have metropolitan issues, and we're a, a, a when we're, when you're dealing with human human beings. I don't care if you're in Pittsburgh or Pittston. It doesn't change. I look at it this way. Our business, and I have opportunities to leave to different markets over the years and even recently, but here's what I figured. If I'm able to cover my hometown area and hopefully make a difference and do, do what is right and just do my job, it's the same animal. Maybe the zoo's bigger, but it's mm-hmm. the same animal. Uh, but we've had some, some unbelievable stories here. The, right. the, the starvation case of the Cottoms back in 19... Uh, uh, I believe it was 80, 83, oh, I'm sorry, 86, starved their young son to death. Uh, the Solinsky case, uh, Solinsky broke out of prison. We covered that. So all those kind of cases, and we still do a lot of national stuff, yeah? Do you at all, so what's interesting is we're talking about cases that are, like, very sensational. Everyone knows about them. My parents have talked about this. Like, it doesn't It doesn't really stop. Like, it's, it's very much historical to our area. Do you still get anxious at all, or is it just second nature to you now when you interview people? Oh, absolutely anxious. When I say anxious, I mean like I'm biting my fingernails and you know going crazy, sweating. But sure, for example, and I'm not sure when this is going to air, but we did a, a live show, a presidential or a senatorial debate review. It was involving the Democratic senatorial race here in Pennsylvania. And we decided to put the show on only two days ago. So... Listen, it's not brain surgery, but you still have to organize to get people in, that kind of thing, and know what you're talking about. Yeah, yeah the butterflies go, for sure, mm-hmm. because now I'm live on WBRE, but our show, especially with Nextstar Broadcasting, we're the lar- one of the largest broadcast groups in the country, uh, I know it's going to be on live in Philadelphia, uh, Erie, Harrisburg, Maryland, all of our stations in Pennsylvania and around Pennsylvania. Yeah, so, but not anxious like nervous, anxious like exciting. Right. Thinking to myself, one, it's a big responsibility. Number two, I want to do it right. Mm-hmm. And I want to do our area proud and our station proud. And I do that. I try and do it every day. So anxious? Absolutely. Mm-hmm. If you don't, then, you know, maybe it's time to do something else. Right. You know, I'm not coming in making a widget nine to five. And that's great, honest work. Mm-hmm. This is the kind of thing that's a living, breathing 
uh, organism every day. Right, and I actually I wasn't planning on asking this question, but along the lines of what we've been talking about, um, I think a big topic of conversation in the college area is about the fact that not a lot of students want to stay here. A lot of students get excited to leave. I actually grew up in the area, and it's very common for people to think that northeastern Pennsylvania doesn't have a lot of options for jobs or that there's not a lot of opportunity here when actually it's very much the, quite the opposite. And I'm curious your opinion about students looking for jobs in this area. Do you think there's a good market for young students right now? Uh, in every discipline, absolutely. Now, are you saying specifically like broadcasting or just in generally we could, speaking? We could do either or. We could do both. I think there's lots of opportunities. I mean, I remember, and, and again, one of the biggest, uh, I think, misnomers or misconceptions about this area is there are no jobs for young people. Mm-hmm. I don't believe that's the case at all. Now, there are plenty of jobs in every kind of industry. Right. But if you work hard and you uh, you just have to do the research, no one's going to come to you, whether it be back in 1979 or 69 or now 2022 two, uh, or 2022, and say, oh, here, Andy, here's a job for you. Mm-hmm. You have to know, you have to do your research. Mm-hmm. But there are plenty of opportunities in northeastern Pennsylvania. You have to know where to look. Now, obviously, the bigger cities will have maybe more numbers of jobs. Mm-hmm. But this is a great, this area, I think, is booming right now, is on the rise. It can only get better. Yeah, there's opportunities there. Just don't listen to the naysayers. Mm-hmm. If I and my friends way back when, I can tell you this much. The people I graduated from, WCLH back in the day, if we listened to the naysayers, we wouldn't be in the area. Mm-hmm. They're all here, whether it be lawyers, judges, engineers, in broadcasting. So there's opportunities. Don't be afraid to look at them. Right. And I'm sure you would agree with, too, it's about you need to be able to find that opportunity by being passionate about what you're doing. And I think you just have to have that love for it and you'll find it, you know, like not, it doesn't always come easy for every single person. Like you have to look still, you're not going to get the first job you always apply to. Right. But there's a lot of opportunity. I know a bunch of my friends even who have interned with WBRE or with local radio stations. And there's, if you look for it, there's opportunity for you there. Well, here's the thing. Everybody in, in any business, you're your own franchise. So, you know, of course you you do well in school, you work hard, you research things, but you have to know that no one's going to take you by the hand and say, here's a job for you. If that happens, God love you, excellent. Mm -hmm. Of course there are people that will guide you and help you. You have to take advantage of that. But for the most part, trust your gut and say, you know what, I know what I like to do and just push forward. There are many people, for example, when I started in radio, 79 here at Wilkes College and then in in the Hazelton area radio, I was told, you have to change your name. It's too ethnic. People will never remember Mahalship. Really? And I said, well, I'm, one, I'm proud of who I am, but number two, that's mm-hmm. who I am. I'm not Tom Jones or John right, Smith. Right, good for you. And they're great names, but you know, my name is very, it's, it is what it is, and I kept it. Wow, And I would, If I listened to the naysayers, only because I was proud of who I am, my heritage, which Absolutely. is Eastern European. And, uh, but again, there were... I'm not saying they were doing a purpose to try and put me down or anybody else down, mm-hmm. but that was the, th- the belief that, well, we know better. You have to change your name in broadcasting. And I just didn't believe that one bit. And now here we are, you know, 40-some years later and still Stood here. your ground. Good yeah. for you. Oh, that's awesome. Well, I'm going to switch it up a little bit and ask. I'm curious um, what a day in your life looks like because I know you have a very interesting schedule. You know, things switch up on the dime. Do you have a day-to-day, this is what my day looks like, or is it always different? It's always different. Now, generally speaking, of course, as you know, even at, at, at WCLH, you have on paper 9 to 5, mm-hmm. 8.30 to 6.30, right? But especially in the journalism business, in this business, uh, it's 24-7. And, and I don't mean that in a negative way. That's what it is because news doesn't stop. Humanity doesn't stop. Life doesn't stop. Of course, you have time off, you sleep, that kind of stuff. But you're always on, meaning if I'm walking down the street, for example, here, I'll give you a little story. I'm walking, parked my car at WBRE TV. I'm walking down here to Wilkes, only a couple blocks away, and LCTA bus drivers are waving to me. And I know why they are. Because five, six, seven years ago, the I-team did, I think, a really good job of exposing corruption in the LCTA and getting and, and helping get the organization show, shed some light on some not-too-good things going on. Yeah. And the drivers were being were caught in that corruption, and they had nothing to do with it because they couldn't do anything about it. We got tipped off. We started digging, connecting the dots. What that says to me is, though, 
they remember that story so many years ago, um, and it meant something to them. So, but the day is every day is something different. You know, like you know, you're walking down the street and say, "How come that building's not developed?" Right. Or why is that happening? Or someone says to you in the Starbucks coffee shop here at Wilkes, "Wow, did you hear what happened at Bedford Hall last night or Wackeser?" Mm-hmm. Yes, I remember some names. Dorothy Dixon. Right. <laughs> I, I didn't hear that. You start digging it into it. Sparks interest. Yeah, absolutely. It's just mm-hmm. natural curiosity. And what's great, Lindsay, about this position and this career, mm-hmm. you could do more with it and tell the world, hey, this happened in my neighborhood, good or bad. Right. And that's I love that, too, because I actually write for The Beacon. And I remember um, right when they took down the mask mandate a few weeks prior, I remember um, our editor-in-chief and managing editor were running literally running to get a picture of the faculty taking down the sign right they're like this is a perfect front page picture right and i'm just thinking to myself and like, they're smart doing that that's mm-hmm. the shot you want to get you don't want to choreograph it you want to get the actual you want the natural state right of it. yeah you know it's not fake this is what happened go ahead i'm sorry go ahead. Um, no you're gonna come straight from that natural <laughs> curiosity like i write for the opinion section so i have a lot of freedom and we get to cover a lot of things we talk a lot about you know the good and the bad on campus because I love my university. I am so proud to go here. I honestly am so grateful I chose Wilkes. Best school. Me Anybody too. listening? So grateful. Um, but what's crazy about that, though, is I love that Wilkes lets us critique things and be like, we think this could be better. And they listen to us. And I think if you don't have that natural curiosity or you aren't looking around you at how can we make things better at the end of the day? You know, because you're covering at the end of the day, no matter whether you're at a v- university or in your career, if you're covering things that might not be correct in your area, you got to be focusing on, well, how can we make this better? Right. You know, like it's important to say this is an issue that's occurring, but then it's like, well, how can we better impact the people whose lives What's are What's the harmed? next step? Exactly. Mm-hmm. And you're right on the money with that. And that's never, that's never changed. And, you know, I'm listening to you speak and I'm really so happy and proud to hear that because again, as a senior member of and being in this business for so long, you could be, as with any business, it's easy to sometimes get tainted or, or pessimistic or skeptical to the point where it cripples your your drive, mm-hmm. and that you know hasn't happened to me, and I don't let it happen because you're saying, and you're right because, and the university has done a great job, and it's it's tough. You have to balance out because maybe there's something happening on campus that may not be well. We don't really, but not that I say it's illegal or unethical, but something that may not be show a good thing with the university, whether it be mm-hmm. Wilkes or Kings or whatever. People might not be aware of it, but or may not be aware of it. But they've been really great here in that. Listen, this is free speech. It's a, it's a, it's a journalism course. It's a journalism school. It's like you're part of the university, but you're not. Right. But you also keep in mind also that you're not. You're still. It's a learning. It's a learning center. So uh, you just want to do it right. Mm-hmm. You know? But you want to be able to handle these things as they come to, because I would be nervous to graduate and never have handled like a sensitive issue or something like that. Like you learn by doing these things um, hands on. And I think I know last semester I actually got the chance to take a crisis in media class, which really opened my eyes to how do we handle crises as they come? How do you appropriately cover something like do you show bodies in certain states like that kind of thing? It's a lot of very heavy topics. Um, but actually brings me into another example of a case you've covered, the Kids for Cash, mm-hmm. which a lot of people know about. I don't know if you're probably tired of talking about it, how many times you've talked about it. But it's a very big case. So I'm curious. Um, my question to you about that was, how was it groundbreaking for both the local area and your own career? Well, you know, it was such a horrible situation. Mm-hmm. And... And it's still ongoing now because Judge Mark Chevrolet is still appealing his case and still, almost like Jerry Sandusky, denying that he did anything wrong. And, and I think, again, just my viewpoint from covering it for the last 10, 12 years is he believes he did nothing wrong. So whether you took kids for cash and it was an actual... And by the way, prosecutors never called the kids for cash. There was no such thing as, here's five kids, here's $5 million or $5,000. That never really happened. But there were kickbacks in lieu of the fact that if, these, if this... Uh, child care center was getting filled up, they got kickbacks for it. So yeah, it was kids for cash, but not directly, but indirectly it was, for sure. So how did that change? It it rocked the area, of course, as we all know. And what it did too, it showed, here were people who, and this is where investigative reporting and reporting in general is is key, because those in power try to keep it quiet and they had the use, they had the power to do that. President Judge Mike Conahan, Judge Chevrel, so documents were sealed, contracts, it was their close little circle of friends that were only involved. 
you know, and most things in, in courts with juveniles at the time, especially then, even till this day, are confidential. You can't get any information. You can't sit in a juvenile hearing. So they knew that. So there was, Chevrolet was, and he had a reputation of doing zero tolerance. And this is back in the day of Columbine and Jonesboro back in the, mm -hmm. uh, in the 90s. So parents and students were saying, oh, good, I like this judge. They're putting these kids away. You're a bad egg. You're going away. Mm -hmm. Zero tolerance doesn't go anymore. But back in the day, remember, the environment was different. Mm -hmm. You know, now, I, you know, sad to say, mass shootings are commonplace. Okay. Anyway, but to find out that here, here are people, and I worked with these individuals a long time, covering the courthouse, you know, that kind of thing. I was, more, I was very disappointed in the fact that I thought these were people that you could trust. They're supposed to stand for something. It's like you or me, Lindsay, in the media. If someone's listening to your podcast or watching Andy on TV doing a story, I would like to think, and I, and I can only say I do it, people say, that guy is doing his job. I could trust what he has to say. Mm -hmm. And if he says there's nothing going on there at this point, we're still vetting it out, I could trust him. So when the judge says there's nothing going on or, oh, it's all rumor and, you know, don't waste your time, and they're lying to you and there's some really bad things going on behind the scenes, that rocked the area. And it rocked, as a person, yeah, it bothered me a lot, thinking, my goodness. And, and I'm, I was already in my 50s then, like, just when you think you've seen it all, especially in this business, you don't. Um, but it, it, it also showed the importance of investigative reporting. True story. So we were getting calls from parents, uh, from parents, there goes a lead story at 6 o'clock, the siren going by. <laughs> yeah, the uh, I'm only kidding, heaven forbid. But <laughs> we, were, we were getting, and by the way, we don't chase ambulances and folks and, and <laughs> sirens. Let's be clear. Yeah, we cover fires and murders and stuff like that, but we're not sitting there waiting for Armageddon to happen. Tailgating them, yeah. If it's going to happen, it's going to happen. <laughs> right. You know, we didn't do it. Don't kill the messenger. Anyway, uh, so we would get calls not a lot, but every once in a while from parents who would say, Andy or whoever reporter was, they would call me a lot because I, I was around for a long time. And again, I don't take that for granted. They thought they could, they knew they could call somebody. They'd say, my Johnny, the old Jane is being sent away. And all she did was, okay, say a cuss word or wrote a note that was intercepted in a class uh, that the teacher saw and they, they put it away in camp. Things you get detention for. Right, you get detention for. Maybe suspend a couple of days, right. So we would check these things out because they sounded really nasty. But who do you go to for answers? The records are sealed. Then you would go to a Judge Conahan or Chivarell, and they say, you know, Andy, uh, they're a bad egg. I can't say anything that's confidential, juvenile, but, you know, all parents believe their kids are angels. And I would get calls like that. Other would get calls like that. Not every day, but every once in a while. Honestly, Lindsay, when, this, when we start getting proof, we hear about indictments and stuff coming down, I was getting flashbacks to these phone calls. And honestly, I actually felt guilty a little bit because... Could we have done anything earlier? Maybe. But we had remembered those phone calls. And journalists that had been around for a long time, we talked about this at the various hearings for the next couple of years and still talk about it, how, boy, they were hiding in plain sight. They were doing bad things right in front of everybody, and nobody could do anything about it or knew about it. Mm -hmm. And maybe I'm just being forgetful and do know this, but was there a big, like, crack in the case? Like, how did they... How did you end up getting more information then? If all these files are sealed, like who well, did you talk to? People start talking, and there was, and once the uh, federal investigators got involved, they have more authority and more power, and uh, they're able to call a grand jury or do investigate that the locals. Well, the county wouldn't investigate itself, and state police weren't involved. But when the federal investigators got involved and the state attorney general's office, then they opened the case. And they start connecting the dots, start talking to people. And they start, and also there was, it's called the Juvenile Law Center in Philadelphia. It's a child advocacy center. They really spearheaded and got the law enforcement involved at the high levels. Because they were talking, they would represent these children. And they would find out, they'd, they'd be at some of these hearings. And kids wouldn't be allowed to speak, there were no lawyers involved. It was, you know, you're going away. Case closed. The judge would actually tell people, I don't want to hear what you have to say. Parents couldn't talk. Little Johnny's going away. But there's I, I, a juvenile law center in Philadelphia. We've done a gazillion stories with them because they're, they're, it's a great organization. Uh, they really they really help spearhead. Then reporters. I'm not going to say me per se. I was part of the crew, but there were some, some newspaper reporters that helped start digging around, asking questions. There were rumors flying around. Mm -hmm. And uh, just to wrap this, how we broke, a man by the name of Steve Flood, who was the county controller back then, real watchdog for the community, was asking, why is this contract sealed with this child care center? And they said, oh, proprietary reasons, it was sealed. He was suing the uh, Luzerne County Court to see this contract. He had heard things, like everyone was hearing things. What happened? Steve Flood takes a stroke. 
it, you talk about darkness, and he passes away. Oh, no. Nobody picked up the ball. Or th that helped prompt also a juvenile law center to start looking in. But that delayed it even further. So when you think about, when you say about evil in the world, I don't want to say it was a black magic here, that mm -hmm. kind of thing, but everything was falling in place to protect what they were doing or mm -hmm. hide it. Uh, but it was a combination, juvenile justice center in Philadelphia, journalism, parents concerned, that really broke it open. Well, what's got to be tough about that too, I imagine, this is with any investigative story, is you get that satisfaction when you're putting the dots together of figuring out and you're breaking the case open. But at the same time, you're exposing really dark things right. and finding out stuff that, you know, maybe a lot of people are going to be shocked to hear. And I think going back to what you said, it's really hard to think about systems of power that we should trust, right. that they shouldn't be corrupt like that. And I think what was very interesting about that case, too, that I know we've talked about in classes, you're talking about kids who don't know how to really defend themselves. They can't. No. And it's it's you're talking about they're trying to trust the legal system because these students have really no one besides their families or a lawyer maybe protecting them. So they're relying on now the media to break this open because if the media was involved, you know, it would be word of mouth people hearing about it. So right. I think that is a very I'm, I'm interested in what you think is like the crucial role of the media in a sense of these certain stories. Do you think that um, has there ever been a time you think that media can do more harm than good? Or do you think it is best that Things be brought to light no matter what. Brought to light no matter what. Mm -hmm. And and it's a it's a you're talking to being doing more harm than good. They the media, and we're seeing it today, unfortunately, uh, can do harm if they don't vet the story, get the facts straight. There was a show back mm -hmm. in the 60s called Dragnet, and a detective Joe Friday would say, go in there and and again, the big stories back then, the cases were stolen purses and things like that, right? And they'd come in with their little notebooks and their detectives. But anyway, there'd be emotions running. And Detective uh, Joe Friday would say, just the facts, ma'am, just the facts. In other words, emotions are great. Calm down. Tell me what happened. So, again, the truth will set you free. Get the facts. Connect the dots. The harm comes, in my opinion, is when you don't get the facts, you don't vet the story out, and maybe you, may, you, you do a story that's not fully vetted. I can tell you, till at this very moment I'm working on a story, we get tons of tips. And social media is a great resource for leads. But you have to still vet it out. And I tell a lot of our younger reporters also, not because I'm the wise old man, but it's like the farmer's commercials, insurance. We cover a lot because we've seen a lot. Yeah. Well, I've seen a lot. That doesn't make me any smarter, but you sort of see a pattern. You say, you know what? I've seen this movie before. It might be different actors because human nature doesn't change. Doesn't change. I don't care if it's 1950, you know, 1,000 years ago. Human beings are human beings. And there's corruption back then. There's evil and there's good. And if you see something, say something. And like they say, if it walks like a duck, cracks like a duck, it's probably a duck. Right. And I like the line, Lindsay, where it says, I, I never understood this. Oh, don't judge a book by its cover. And I know that what they're saying, what that means. Don't judge a book by its cover. But normally, at least in my experience, you get a pretty good idea what's inside the book <laughs> by the cover, usually. Yep, that's for sure. And I actually want to jump to this question that I, I know we were thinking about covering the role of social media, especially in your job. I know, I'm imagining, I know you're active on social media. I'm not sure if that's a big component of your job or something you actively Absolutely. choose to do. But um, do you think, especially considering generations like myself who are graduating, going into this field, do you think, what are sort of the pros and cons of using social media, especially when you're in a prestigious career? I think it's all 99.9% of the time pros, for sure. Not Cons in that, again, social media is good. You have to, if you're just, for example, I use Facebook and Twitter for the most part mm -hmm. to promote the stories I'm talking about. And I, that's not like a commercial, but saying, hey, guy, by the way, guys, I'm looking at this. Like, for example, uh, we have pictures and video taken of this event. I'll post on social media and Eyewitness News along with my page is saying, you know, it's a great event. Here's what's mm -hmm. happening at WCLH. I was with Lindsay today. It's a great mm -hmm. thing. You got to market it, Because yeah. it's a good, it's, but it's a good, you know, they're doing great things at Wilkes, and the community should know about that. Mm -hmm. Not just because I graduated here eons ago, but they're continuing to uh, educate our young people and, and, and show them the right things to do and guide them along. You know, we don't have to hold your hand. No one had to hold my hand either. But their guidance and experience means something. It just does in every aspect of life. And, you know, hear opinions. That doesn't mean you have to say, oh, you're right, I'm going to change my course. But just hear what they have to say. You could disagree. But in, 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 in this business, the more uh, you cover and more you, you uh, 
move forward with it. But social media is great as far as getting information and people reaching out to you for sure. In the old days, you had to get phone calls. Or emails were great, but you couldn't get emails unless you're at your desk at home or at, at, uh, at school. But social media now, private messaging and Twitter or retweets, so you see something like, that doesn't make sense. Mm-hmm. So I use social media to expand what we do. It's another platform. But your generation, and I agree with you, the days of getting home to watch the news at 5 o'clock, I know people don't, for the most part, don't do that. We still have a lot of people that do under big screen TVs. I'd rather, if I'm going to be home, I'd rather watch a broad, something on big 50-inch TV, of course, instead of my phone or my iPad or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, but social media just helps spread your information exponentially, mm-hmm. good or bad. Here's what we're working on. Or, for example, like if floods, fires, disasters like that, 9-11 type situations, that social media wasn't like it is now, you get the word out, uh, uh, be alert, there's something happening. You know? Right, and I think that is largely how a lot of people now get their news. Is oh, absolutely. They use your phones. You know, I like I said, I grew up, my um, grandparents and my parents watch evening news. That's how I always saw it. And then as I got older... I'm one of those now, and I'm... I'm oh, as you got older. As I know. <laughs> in my 21 young years of I'm life. humbled. Listen, you're looking, at, you're looking at getting older. You're not getting older. Maybe. You're getting maybe mature. Right as, as the few years I've had have gone by. No, I get it. But I, I know what you're saying, though. Here's that you grow into it. It's a learning mm-hmm. curve. And I'm still learning. I'll be, yeah, I'm not ashamed to say I'll be 62 this year. And in my mind, Lindsay, sitting here at WCLH when I, was, when I started here when I was 18 years old, I'm thinking, I just graduated high school. I'm here as a freshman. I'm back at WCLH. I've been married, had a, a beautiful daughter, have a grandson now. Yeah. I'm, I, I think I've had a good career. I think I've, I've done what, mm-hmm. I, I'm still working hard every single day. But life goes, I'm snapping my fingers. Like, that's what it is right. for everybody. So, but it's a learning curve all the time. Mm-hmm, definitely, and I think it, um, on that side of the coin, I actually wanted to talk about your experience at Wilkes and get a little bit of your roots before you know you got into your really successful career. Just, I'm curious, before I even ask a specific question, what was your time at Wilkes like? It was exciting. And I could honestly, but I wasn't, for me, for college at the time, again, I was the first Mahal Sheik in my, my family to go to college. And I wasn't thinking about that so much back then, like, oh, I'm carrying first time, but I was aware of it. And I and honestly, I thought then as I'm walking on this campus, I'm from Hazleton, and Wilkes-Barre was a big city back then, but it was intimidating for sure because I'm thinking, and I I knew I was a smart guy, whatever I was, I was you know I, I wasn't af- intimidated and afraid that way, but I'm like wow, you know a couple times do do I belong here? Mm-hmm. Am I gonna am I gonna make it here? I knew I was I thought I was a smart guy, but this was college, and you know I had no one to talk to my in my family. What's college about? I didn't know. To me, it was, but it was such a great honor because here I am with these great professors and, you know, uh, being here with the energy flow, like you know what I'm talking about. Yep. I don't care what university school you go to, small or big, there's an energy flow. And you're mm-hmm. with people that want, want to make a difference. And yeah, you need your sheepskin, you need your college degree. Of course, that opens doors. But it's what you do is your own franchise. What do you do with that information? Yeah, the, 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 the uh, degree get someone to look at your resume or look to talk to you. But what do you bring to the table besides that? And that's what these universities do. Mm-hmm. But anyway, my time at Wilkes, yeah, I was, I, but I was a commuting student. I had an apartment at Wilkes. Mm-hmm. Don't let the deans back then know. <laughs> when you were a commuter, you couldn't, you had to live at home. This is what it was back then. I'm not sure what it's like now. Right. And I thought, boy, to drive back and forth from Hazelton, not a long trip, but still 50 miles round yeah, trip. Yeah, that's a, a lot. So I got an apartment, brace yourself, up by King's College. <laughs> Right, and I thought I could pay for an apartment. I was working part time, whatever. So I and uh, so I lived up by Kings. I would walk through enemy territory to oh come to Wilkes, and uh, but I was very involved in campus. I never, but going to school. But my goal was to be a lawyer. Mm-hmm. That was my initial goal. There was a movie back then called Injustice for All with Al Pacino. It was about a young man who helps change the system, corruption, that kind of thing. But then I got exposed to. I always was a student of the news. As we talked before we went on air. And I was at a physics class, an elective I had to take or whatever, and there was a person involved in that class that said it was involved in journalism. And the radio station said, we have a rock show open, a rock show on Monday nights. We need someone to fill in. I said, yeah, okay. I like music. I liked current events stuff. I got the bug. I got involved with WCLH on a Monday night. One thing led to another, and I really thought, this is something I might want to do moving forward. Not to be a reporter, so I didn't know that, 
but I like the whole energy flow. But I also like how you say you wanted to be a lawyer because you wanted to be involved in and stop certain forms of corruption. But I would argue you're probably one of the closest careers that you could have chosen to doing something similar to that. Right. You know, I look back and not to make this a religious thing. I also I also believe that sometimes whether you believe in fate or nature or whatever, we are where we're supposed to be. Mm-hmm. Like I'm talking to you now. I'm not saying there's someone pulling a string like a puppet, but I'm supposed to be talking to Lindsay right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, so when I met that, ironically, I heard him talking about trying to get someone to do a rock show on a Monday night at WCLH when this studio was over at Dorothy Dixon Dart Center. And I said, hey, what, what are you looking for? And he said, well, just to spin records. Yes, vinyl. And I said, okay, how many hours, whatever. And uh, then we would read newscasts and that kind of thing. And again, I always liked news, current events. Not that I went to Wilkes to be a reporter. I didn't. I came here to get a political science degree take a lot of writing communication courses to go to law school. Yeah. And that one rock show didn't change my life per se, but I enjoyed it. Mm-hmm. And I enjoyed, then they said, could you cover some things for our station at the courthouse, whatever. I said, for the for WCLH News Department. I said, yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Anyway, that really said, I like this, you know. But I'm the same way. I'm a huge believer in, it's also always the small little things that we do that just sort of put us on the path that yes. we're sort of meant to be yeah. on. I remember I was never interested. I was always big into journalism and um, public speaking. That was always my thing. And when I got to Wilkes, I remember um, for one of our first courses, we had to do more co-curriculars than we were already a part of. And I was like, you know what? I've never done radio. This seems like really fun. So I joined a show with my friends. And here I am three years later. And it's one of my favorite things ever to do. And it's never something I considered for a career path. And now I'm sitting here like, this is what I enjoy doing. Like right. This is never a chore to me. I get excited about these things. And I think I love hearing you say that because I think sometimes, especially as young students, because that's a lot of people who listen to my podcast is current students or maybe even prospective students or Wilkes faculty, is it can be really scary trying to figure out if you're doing the right thing for you. You know, I think everyone wakes up and is like, am I doing where, am I where I need to be? And it's scary. I still do that today. Yeah. I think if you don't do that, you're missing a chip somewhere. Mm-hmm. That's human nature. And you're right. And, and you hit the nail on the head. I remember walking on Wilkes campus. And it wasn't, I mean, it was always a beautiful campus. But now it's so, it's so expanded and be- even more beautiful. Uh, I would walk on campus. I was humbled by it. I know, I, again, I know it might sound weird to people. I was humbled by it because I thought, do I deserve to be here? Am I good enough to be here? And I had a great childhood, my parents were great, God rest their soul, it was fantastic. But I, I'm still impressed to walk through Wilkes. There's a lot of smart people here. Mm-hmm. And I'm walking down here thinking, I, I never think to myself, boy, I've made it, blah, 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 blah. Jeez, I think when you think you've made it and you're done, you're in trouble. Agreed. We don't. And and I agree with you. If you're thinking or anyone listening to this or your students are saying, geez, I'm not sure I'm on the right path, we never really know. I talked to. I was just talking last night with this the program we did live on on WBRE, the post debate analysis post game show, and we were talking the same conversation. Here's an, a high powered lawyer from Scranton, and we talk about he enjoys what he does, but I think gee, what if I took a different path? We were talking about careers and families and we're grandparents and that kind of thing. How did I become a grandparent? I have a three year old grandson, Jacob. I love you, but you know he's calling Pop Pop, and all of a sudden you realize we. That's how life is. Mm-hmm. And all you could do is take it day by day and work hard. And you know, you're right, Lindsay, you might do something five minutes from now or five hours from now and it'll change your perspective. Mm-hmm. We don't know that. But that's what's exciting about life. And no one ever, I, I think the majority of people wake up in the morning, whether you're making a million dollars or $500 a week or whatever it is, and you think, is anyone truly happy? How many people mm-hmm. do you know that you're going to school? And you're saying, are they, are they really happy? They're going to work. Are they really happy? I don't know. Right. But you hit it on the head. I love what I do. And I often say to myself, what do I want to be when I grow up? Because I, when I say work, do I look, to, look at this as a job even to this day? No. I want to enjoy it. I yeah. don't. And people say, oh, you could probably retire a couple of years. Yeah, I could probably retire this year, quite frankly. But I'm like, okay, then what do I do? Carve wooden ducks? I mean... <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, that's right. This is what I do. So I, this is, and honestly, I'll close on this note with this thought. Then I'm thinking when that day does come, and only because your cup gets full and you have other obligations, and I want to spend more time with my, grand, my grandson. Absolutely. And um, when I'm not an actor, I'll always be a journalist, whatever. But saying, boy, I'm not doing it every day anymore. Or 
that's I think it's gonna it's gonna bother me. I that's why yeah, it's though. a big. When people say don't let your job be define who you are, I'm not gonna say it defines me, but it definitely is who I am. That's what I do. That's my heartbeat. Yeah, and you adapt to that. And I think what would be funny is to see if you know one day you're not doing this and you're walking down the street, you can't enjoy yourself without looking for a story. Then oh, it's, no it's doubt a part about of you. it. Well, listen, it's like now I'm on vacations in quotes. <laughs> After about two or three days, I love doing things around the house and going on vacation. Yes, we all need it. Mm-hmm. But after about three, four, five days, I'm like, oh, boy. You're antsy. You know you're bored. I, I got to get going here. Now, now, you say about social media. What's great about this is, and of course, working for a, a massive company, broadcasting, digital, the whole thing, um, you're really never out of your coverage area. You're journalism all the time, no matter what. But in the day, if I was at, say, Cape May, yeah, I could contact a Philadelphia station and say, this is going on. I wasn't necessarily doing stuff for Eyewitness News, but now, because of the way the media and platforms are, and I've done this already, even at Penn State, going to uh, Penn State games, that kind of thing, if something happens, good or bad, whatever, sometimes good events, I could do a report on my iPhone for Eyewitness News. And actually, we uploaded to TVU app, and we're on the air. When, well, for example, when COVID hit last year, I had COVID. I was quarantined at home. I worked from home. I did live shots. I, pr- I directed my photographer to go shoot out in the field, put it to the computer system. I'm at home in my bedroom yesterday, an old eyewitness news graphic from the mid-90s. And I did my phone. I did a selfie. I did live on the air at 6 o'clock. And we told people. Wow. We would say, Andy Bohalschik is now quarantined with COVID, but he's working from home. <laughs> and I would still cover stories and get tipped off to stuff. Talk about and, work ethic. Yeah, really. And wow. that's a, Well, I mean, and that's what it was. Now, I didn't do it every day, but... Um, so it's changed. So you're really on, but now you could be on air, or online, everywhere. And right. my stories, like for example, our, our debate last night, uh, our program at nine o'clock, which we put together in less than two days, was in. Uh, on, I have people calling me from Philadelphia, from Erie, from Harrisburg. Say, oh, we saw your program. We were, it was shared on all of our next door stations in Pennsylvania, and I'm humbled by that because now all of a sudden somebody who's maybe watching in an apartment down in Chambersburg or is watching us from downtown Wilkes-Barre. I want to do us proud. I want to do it right, mm-hmm. you know, because uh, that's what we should do. Right, and you're constantly expanding your audience and having more and more people, especially yeah, Exponentially growing. Social media. Yep. Yep. Absolutely. So I'm uh, really curious for, I'm asking this a lot for those of us involved in radio right now, but anyone listening, uh, do you think your time in radio, both at Wilkes and, you know, afterwards when you worked in radio, what critical skills do you think it taught you that have helped you to this point? Everything. Foundation. Not even a question. And we still talk about today. Those who worked in radio in any form, DJ, newscast, whatever, anyone who worked in radio who was able to communicate, it builds your skill, it builds your confidence. You know, for example, if you're on the air or doing a podcast or whatever for an hour and a half, two hours, and someone would say, well, you're only introducing music, you're talking about topics you like, it doesn't matter. You're communicating, you're honing your skills. And the best television reporters, and now we're all reporters, but... Uh, you know, MMJ's multimedia journalists should do everything, camera, shooting, which I think in many ways has hurt the business because you, you're a master, you're a jack-of-all-trades, master of none. I do still believe, I'll just say this, we should, you know, MMJs are great and that's where the business is going, but sometimes you need a crew where a photog worries about getting the pictures, mm-hmm. I worry about getting the facts, and I'm not, my mind isn't divided four or five different ways. But having said that, Ray, the, the best TV journalists I've seen broadcast were those who had some kind of radio experience. Because you talk to people, you communicate. Uh, if you're in a room by yourself for hours, you got to be creative. It takes a lot, yeah. It takes a lot, sure. And you get done, sometimes you're mentally exhausted. Not because, oh, I can't do it, but that's what it is. Mm-hmm. You know? so, but radio was key for me. And everyone I know in, my, in the business till this day, and even the generation coming up, I can almost tell the difference. If I'm watching a station in another part of the country, or one of our next star stations, I could tell they worked in college radio. Or I could see, and I could also tell those who don't have much experience. But radio is a great training ground and a great foundation. I agree. And that makes me feel really great as somebody Trust in radio me, right now. Yeah. And I'll debate that point with any journalism professor around the world. Mm-hmm. I know, what I, again, like the farmer's commercials. You know, I, 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 we cover a lot. I've seen a lot. And I've seen a lot of people come through the door from all around, smart people. But those by far who had any kind of radio experience were cut above. Right. Because they're just a little bit better, mm-hmm. you know, so. and that 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 does feel really good to hear. And I know even all the personalities in our radio station, everyone's all a little different, but everybody has that same like 
I don't know if it's just like a spark or a passion or what it is, but I think it's also a lot of people where you could sit down and talk for hours. I know any radio personality that's involved with WCLH or all people who are passionate about something. It could be a certain kind of music. It could be anything. My last question for you then is, do you have any advice for students beginning their careers or anyone who would want to work in a similar field to you? Work hard. Don't be deterred by the naysayers. Uh, definitely, and I know we're talking here in a rush because, and, and you know, you could probably edit it out, but we have a situation now developing in Wilkesbury that I have to go cover <laughs> and check it out. It's, it could be a really it's, nasty it's situation. It's perfect amongst the topics well, we're discussing. This, this is what's going on now. The and, urgency, and, yeah. You know, as we're doing the show, our phones were never disconnected, and I'm getting mm-hmm. text about possibility of a situation with a man with a gun up by uh, the Luzerne County Courthouse. So we're going to vet this out. But mm-hmm. my advice is, you got don't, don't be afraid to work in this business and probably. Yeah, you, you know, don't expect nine to five. Right. If that's just what it is. If you're covering humanity and the human condition, that never stops. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you have you have time off. You have you know, you're not working twenty four seven per se, but be prepared to work hard. You're your own franchise. Hone your skills. Talk to people in the business, in whatever business, but especially this business. Find out what made them successful. That doesn't mean you're going to do the exact same thing. Hear what they have to say and do what those in success do. If you look at whether it be uh, major corporations, communications, doctors, talk to successful people or see what they've done. Usually they have a blueprint for, for success. I'm not saying you could do a carbon copy, but you get a pretty good idea of what works and what doesn't work. Right. Yeah, so work hard and um, don't be afraid to ask questions. And if, if you're in communications, of course, you can always reach out to me on email or social media. There's, I always say, and you've heard this before, uh, there's no such thing as a stupid question. Mm-hmm. There's only it's only bad when you it's 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 not good when you don't ask that question. Absolutely, yeah, so. most definitely. So I'll put all of Andy's information in the description of this podcast. Thank you all so much for listening. I cannot thank you enough, Andy, for coming on my podcast with me. These no thank no thank you necessary. I'm sorry I have to run. I actually cover a breaking news story right now. But folks, if you're listening to this and you'll hear some of this stuff before, I'm sure that's what this business is, and yep. you're always in tune. Now. I, it's, it's probably nothing. You don't know, but that's what we do. Mm-hmm. And, you got to follow it. Uh, but I was honored to be here. Back at WCLH, you made my day. <laughs> it's just awesome. I'll come back whenever you need. Fill Some, a show, I'm whatever. so honored to have done this. So thank you so much again, Thank Andy. you. Thank you. Nice to meet you. And you're, and I love Wilkes. Go Wilkes. As, go Wilkes. Absolutely. As always, you're listening to 90.7 WCLH, Wilkes-Barre, Scranton, Hazleton. Don't forget to keep it locked. <laughs>